0: My name is Ewanwan Omarin, your friend, and this is my channel, It Pays to Fear God. In this channel, we talk about the Kingdom of God, the owner, who is God himself, and His Son Jesus Christ, and the various things that the Bible talks about. And today, the subject that I have prepared for you and myself is captioned, Who is Jesus Christ? However, before we get into all that, I always have a tune that some of you may be familiar with. <laughs> Subject for today is captioned, Who is Jesus Christ? Now, many people know about Jesus Christ. It's a very popular to- topic in history, in geography, etc., because the kind of sacrifice that Jesus Christ had came down to pay is so important. We call him our Ransomer, our Redeemer, our Saviour, our Lord, because of the ransom sacrifice that he paid. However, we have to understand the subject a little more broad than that. Not only the ransom sacrifice, but the idea of Jesus Christ. Who is he? Where did he come from? To start off with, as we all know, God lives from everlasting to everlasting. You've read Psalms chapter 90, verse 2, and chapter 93, verse 2. So therefore, God lived infinity years before he created Jesus Christ. The concept we as humans cannot really understand as a result of the world that we live in. However, what we need to know is that one day God said, Okay, I want to create something, somebody. And that person ended up being Jesus Christ. Even though in the Genesis chapter 1 account, the whole chapter, it never includes somebody being named Jesus Christ. It just talks about God Himself creating everything else. The first thing that God ever created was Jesus Christ. God had life in Himself and He said, I want to give this to somebody else. And that person is who we call Jesus Christ today. If we read John chapter 5, verse 26, God had life in himself and he gave it to Jesus Christ so that he can also have life in himself. So then they went ahead, created everything else. Then the accounts in Genesis chapter 1 comes into play. After God and Jesus Christ enjoyed themselves for some time, they created the realm that they live in, the heavenly realm. Then they created Lucifer, who we now say Satan, the devil, then they created the angels and all of those other things that we know they created today. But it was first God and Jesus Christ. And if you read Colossians chapter one, from verses fifteen to seventeen, Ephesians chapter three from verses three to nine, or specifically verse nine, Revelation chapter three, verse fourteen, and John chapter one from verses one to three, what we find is that Jesus Christ co-created everything. It's like God creating Things he had the ideas and then gave it to Jesus Christ, who therefore, through God's power, did everything. So we must understand it through that accord or through that way. Then everything went like that. We also know how God created this world, this physical realm. Said, oh, "Okay, let's create a whole new realm, something that would would mimic the realm that we live in." So the process of how that happened is all in Genesis chapter one. Then after all that happens, Jesus Christ wasn't just doing nothing until God one day said, okay, let's do the Ransom Sacrifice, and then the Ransom Sacrifice happened. Jesus Christ was a Chief of the Angels, but we must never compare that position that he had to what he is now. What he is now is insane, because of all the rewards that he got from completing that mission of the Ransom Sacrifice. But before, he was just doing his thing. He, He would come down to this world as the Chief of the Angels. He would be a messenger, sort of. So he would come down, he would talk to people, he would look like a human. He wouldn't just be this uh, random spirit who with humans would think looks like some ghost or something. He would they would turn into humans, they would look like them, they they would behave like them, even dress like them. Like in Genesis chapter 18 from verses 1 to thirty-three, Jesus Christ and some of his companions dressed up as people of what would I say? Out of purple robes, of things that looked very—they looked very well dressed—and that was how Abraham called them in, served them with a meal. And then they went into how Sarah would have a son, and how Lot was going to have to his nephew, of course, but have to escape from a city called Sodom and Gomorrah—two cities, actually—and how that process would all work. But. It would come down from time to time. And in Daniel chapter 3, from verses 24 to 28, it's another example of how Jesus Christ came and was like walking around with the three Hebrew boys in the furnace of fire, clearly showing that God is the God of all gods, and the Lord of all lords. If we read Sam chapter 95, verse 3, Deuteronomy chapter 10, and verses 16 and 17, and other places, clearly proving the power of God and that God can really do anything if he wants to. Then it's sometimes fun to mention all the various names that Jesus Christ has because as people got to learn about him from time to time, they thought they decided to call him various things based on his attributes, reflecting on some of his ways of living, etc. For example, apart from simple ones like the Son of Man, the Messiah, he was called Shiloh in Genesis chapter 49, 49, 49, 49 verse 10, reflecting on. He, it was a Jewish name, of course. In English, it'd be something different. Then he's being called Lion of the Tribe of Judah and the Root of David in Revelation chapter five, verse five, reflecting on the fact that he was born from the tribe of Judah and therefore David was a part of it. A prophecy being fulfilled. If read Genesis chapter forty-nine, verse ten, once again, where Shiloh comes. He's been called the son of righteousness in Malachi chapter 4, verse 2. He's been called Emmanuel in Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. And he's been called Michael. God has also been called Michael if we read Exodus chapter 15, verse 3. But Jesus Christ has been called that, sharing those same attributes of war. Because as he has been appointed to be king over God's glorious government, if we read Isaiah chapter 32, verse 1, chapter 9, and verses 6 and 7, and other places all over the Bible, they are fighting many battles against Satan and the devil, and trying to win that main war, the battle of Armageddon, as some people call it. Read Revelation chapter twelve, verse seven, and Revelation chapter nineteen, verses two, six, and eleven to twenty-one. So that was what I've just said is the life Jesus Christ lived before the ransom sacrifice. But we should get into a little detail. In why the ransom sacrifice was necessary for it to, why Jesus Christ had to come down to this world and pay that ransom. Back then, in Jewish traditions, there were people who would make sacrifices to sort of cleanse their lives, kind of like baptism, a mixture of that and how blood would come into that. But as God is a man of principle, if you read Malachi chapter 3, verse 6, there are rules set on how people would be cleansed of their sins, and life for life is one of them. Essentially, the the main reason why Jesus Christ had to pay the ransom sacrifice is because of the fall of man, the Adamic death sentence, how Adam had sinned, come short of the glory of God by him being being given the law in Genesis chapter 2 and verses 16 and 17, but uh, another party gave or showed him a whole new idea, a new way of worshipping God, a combination of what he said, but simply changing what God had told them by saying, "You will not surely die. You will." God is just depriving you from one of from knowing everything He knows. And of course, who wouldn't want to know everything? Because of course, the Bible suggests God is somebody who is not only an owner of this world but knows everything that there is to know. So that was something they would have really liked and wanted. So that was what made them decide to do it. Of course, Satan going to Eve first before Eve convincing Adam and how everything went to Genesis chapter 3 from verses 1 to 6. Unfortunately, this didn't turn out for them. Satan was just telling them a pack of lies. and in Genesis chapter 3 from verses 16 to 19, God unfortunately had to punish them. But as a result of God's love and mercy, if we read John chapter 3, verse 16, it tells us, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but rather have everlasting life. The reason why it is God's only begotten Son is, once again, as I discussed earlier, Jesus Christ is the only creation that God specifically created himself. All the other things that we see in this world was a mixture of Jesus Christ and God's work and ideas. So, and plus not only that, but Paul explained this topic in Hebrews chapter one, from verses one to nine, differentiating Jesus Christ from the angels. We can't call Jesus Christ or any of the other angels. Rather, we can't call the other angels sons of God. They're that, but in a different form. We can't call a random angel the son of God. That's a title specifically given to Jesus Christ. So we should therefore never mix them up. That was why Jesus Christ had to pay the ransom sacrifice. Imagine one of God's other angels was coming down, paying the ransom, and without really Jesus Christ being the one to do it. It would be very weird, because Jesus Christ is lower than the angels, because the rewards would still apply whoever did it. But God wanted Jesus Christ to do it, and they organized how that would all turn out, and then we saw how that turned out. Blood was necessary because of some traditions that they had, house, goats, lambs, etc would be sacrificed to take away the sins. Like the high priest would sacrifice some goats for his own life, some for the tabernacle or the sanctuary, or the temple, however you call it, and some for the the nation that they ruled. So Jesus Christ in John chapter 1 verse 29 is described as a lamb being led to the slaughter and it's taking away the sins of the world. However, we should never get deceived and think that oh, because the ransom sacrifice is was the ultimate, because of course it's an unprecedented part of history and it's never gonna happen again, that covers all our sins. However, Hebrews chapter 10 for verses 26 to 29 suggests a whole different idea. But the ransom sacrifice was only covering that sin that we as humans living today and all humans living after Adam and Eve had no control over. But the sins that we still commit now in these last days, or at any time, are sins that we ourselves have to repent from. Otherwise, the ransom sacrifice will cover them, and we will still have to suffer the punishment of death. We're only talked. The ransom sacrifice was only going for the sin talked about in Romans chapter five, and chapter six, verse twenty-three. The wages of sin is death. That kind of death that we had absolutely no control over. Then, the actual event of the ransom sacrifice. Jesus Christ told his disciples in Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, that the main reason that Jesus Christ came down to this world was to pay the ransom sacrifice. He also, though, used the opportunity to teach about the Word of God, for John chapter 10, verse 9, just to educate people about the saints. But we should never use that to mean that the ransom sacrifice and that were equal. No the main reason why Jesus Christ came down to this world was to pay the ransom, sacrifice. And we all know how that went, how Jesus Christ was killed by the Romans on on the tree, not the cross, and how all of that went. Now, the rewards of Jesus Christ are a very popular and important part of this that we have to discuss. Jesus Christ is nowhere near what he was before. He is so much higher. He was exalted because of all the various extreme attributes. It was a phenomenal, phenomenal performance that he did there, and God had to reward him a lot for it. For one, he's the only mediator between God and men now. He's been exalted to that position. If we read John chapter 14, verse 6, Philippians chapter 2, from verses 5 to 11, and Hebrews chapter 12, and verses 2 and 3. Now he is also once again king over God's entire government. Read Isaiah chapter 32, verse 1, etc. And he's just very, he's a very special person. And in their prayers, it's worth mentioning. If you read Matthew chapter 6, for example, for verses 9 to 13, Jesus Christ is a part of the prayer. You cannot worship God without Jesus Christ. You can't even know him for that matter, as Jesus Christ told his disciples in Matthew chapter Eleven, from verses 25 to 27. No man can know the son save the father. Neither can any man know the father save the son, except the son is willing to reveal him. So that just describes the kind of authority that Jesus Christ has over all his worshippers. Then the kind of example he showed is almost just as important. Jesus Christ was not a man of pride. He acknowledged his father, even though he'd be given the Holy Spirit without measure. If read John chapter three verse thirty-four, he had the ability. To do practically anything, and he demonstrated some of that with the resurrection, with opening the eyes of the dead, opening the eyes of the blind, opening the ears of the death of the dead, ex, the, the deaf, etc. He still acknowledged his father as somebody willing to be worshipped and somebody who was much bigger than him. For example, in John chapter four verse thirty-four, he had the courage to state, "My meat is to do the will of him that sent me, and to finish his work." That's like saying, the reason why I was born into this world, the reason why my Father created me, is just so that I can do His will, which is a very extraordinary thing. In John chapter 5, verse 30, he stated, I can of my own self do nothing, as I hear, I judge, for my judgment is just, for I seek not my own will, but the will of my Father, which is Semi. This guy, who also has, been, has claimed to have an unlimited amount of the Holy Spirit, says he can of his own self do nothing. That clearly shows the kind of humility that he demonstrated. It was a kind of humility that very, very few worshippers can demonstrate. Not loving his life unto the death, if you read Revelation chapter 12, verse 11. In John chapter 6, verse 38, he stated, For I came down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of my Father, which has sent me. And in John chapter 14, verse 28, he said, For my Father is greater than I. So, and in many other places. He demonstrated. He made people know that he was, even though he was very special, God was so much bigger than him. Then the way he treated his apostles, very friendly. If we read John chapter ten verse fifteen, he described himself as somebody very kind, dying for people who didn't even want it, and that's a very important thing, though it must worth mentioning. Jesus Christ as a ransom, God. The reason why God did it is not because we asked for it. It's because God offered it. God said, okay, I'm going to do this. Because if we read 1 John chapter 4, from verses 9-11, to John the Apostle said God gave Jesus Christ as a ransom, not because we wanted it, not because we loved God, but because God loved us and used Jesus Christ as a ransom and propitiation for our sins. So just as how God loved us, we have to be loyal back up to him. That's the only way. The love and loyalty triangle ladder, etc., however you described it or describe it. It's the only way that you can truly earn those rewards that he did. But of course, their ransom sacrifice as an event pales, pales compared to what Jesus Christ is doing. Now, as many of us might be familiar with, the kingdom of God has been established. The prayer of Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 6 from verses 9 to 13, has been slightly altered. Instead of saying, Thy kingdom come, it's Thy kingdom has come, because we already know that the kingdom of God is on earth, it's been established, and God, Jesus Christ is the king of it. However, we must, we must know some details. For one, like I said, Jesus Christ is fighting many battles. If you read Revelation chapter 19, from verses 11 to 21, John the Apostle gave us a slightly more detailed idea of what Jesus Christ is going to be doing. Satan, the devil has been ruling this world for thousands of years. He has kept the world in the sway of the wicked one, because of all the lies that he's done. He's kept it. He's impersonated God, essentially. If we read 1 John 5, verse 19, the New Living Translation makes it easy to understand. <laughs> However, Jesus Christ has been appointed to destroy, what Satan is doing. And he's doing and he's doing it well and he's doing it gradually. He's he has created, he has started off with the saints, chosen them, he's he's of course given them the information to preach and Jesus Christ is starting to build more institutions based on the saints teaching people and planting his word in others. Some kind people have started creating institutions that will help people live better lives, because what we are aiming for is a world where there is not only no death, but there is perfect peace and happiness. All this hypocrisy, politics that's consuming the world, that power imbalance, that's what Jesus Christ, in these last days, is trying to attack. He's trying to defeat, just to make sure that what God promised is filled. Because God's promises are all over the Bible. Free Isaiah chapter 65 from verses 17 to 25, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 13, Revelation chapter 21, from verses 1 to 7, and many other places, that new heaven and new earth that we're all talking about here is, is the new creation essentially, the new covenant. And people who will be accepted to inherit God's kingdom are people who worship God from the heart. It's not people like back then in the days of Israel where you just be circumcised and you follow those traditions and you're automatically saved. no it's been open to gentiles and rules have been changed so that it's the worship of God that makes that makes you out to worship of course back then we all know that even then you had to worship God but people just took it to mean that it was just the physical stuff that mattered it's always the spiritual stuff that matters It's always our heart condition that matters. But now, that entire way of life has been cancelled out. It is absolutely unnecessary. We just have to put our heart to God, and we will be accepted. I think it is clear now who Jesus Christ is. Jesus Christ is not some dead person. He has come again. He He is a new person now. He is a very special person, and he's the only mediator between God and men. We must, once again, emphasize. Once again, read. First Timothy chapter two and verses five and six and John chapter fourteen verse six. I choose to end my subject on who is Jesus Christ. Oh, one more thing if you like what you heard today, feel free to share a message at https colon double slash anchor.fm slash it pays to fear God slash message once again, that's HTtps. Colon double slash anchor.fm slash it pays to fear God slash message. Hope to hear your wonderful feedback.